0: Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. JJ Cooper and Ben Badler with you today as we welcome you to a new year. Happy New Year to everyone. We hope you had a, a wonderful holidays and we're excited to, to not only be in 2016, but we're excited because we are done with the Prospect Handbook, which is, if you work at Baseball America, it's a, it's a pretty huge moment because it's a, an all encompassing, uh, I'd say three month project in many ways, but The the prospect handbook is on its way to the uh, printers. If you go to baseballamerica.com slash store, you can order your prospect handbook from us right now. You will get it first. You will get it well ahead of if you order it from anywhere else. We get it first, and then we ship it out as quickly as we get it. We turn it around and send it out. And if you order from baseballamerica.com, you also will get an additional prospect for every team. We do a supplement the 31st prospect for every team. So instead of 900 prospects, you get 930. And actually, you get a little bit more than that because Ben wrote up a a number of international prospects who had not signed as of uh, the deadline for the handbook. One of those, I want want to talk about right away because around and send it out. And if you order from BaseballAmerica.com, you also will get an additional prospect for every team. We do a supplement the 31st prospect for every team. So instead of 900 prospects, you get 930. And actually, you get a little bit more than that because Ben wrote up a a number of international prospects who had not signed as of uh, the deadline for the handbook. One of those, I want to talk about right away because Kenta Maeda just signed with the Dodgers. We don't know the full parameters of the deal. We do know that it appears to be an eight-year deal. It appears to have a very modest base salary, but then it has a a relatively significant incentive structure. So, Ben, it just just jumps out to me. I guess I'll ask you, since you are our international expert, what can Dodgers fans expect from Maeda, and did the structure of this contract surprise you at all? Uh,
1: I think you can expect him to come in and be an immediate big league starter somewhere in the... You know, the middle to the, the back of the rotation that I think most scouts that I've talked to and, and from seeing him pitch, uh, several times over, uh, over the last three seasons now, I think the, the general consensus was this guy can come in and, and be a, a really solid number four starter right away. It's, you know, the fastball is about, you know, generally 89, 93. You know, he'll touch a four or maybe a five, uh, but he's not going to overpower you with velocity. He's, He's going to rely mostly on on command and and mixing his stuff up, uh, trying to hit the corners and and keep you off balance. Uh, mostly a a fastball slider pitcher, uh, pitching in in Japan. And the slider is not, it's not really like a wipeout slider where you'd call it a true plus pitch. It it may flash that at times, but it's it's more of a 50 to, to 55 type offering on the 20 days. You know, it's definitely going to be an effective major league pitch. It's just, got, it's just not going to be a, a knockout pitch where you feel comfortable uh, putting him at the, the top of the rotation and, and racking up a, a ton of strikeouts. He is prone to hang that pitch sometime. I think it's going to get less swing and miss against major league hitters than he was able to get against Japanese hitters who just aren't quite as good. Uh, but what, what was really interesting about him was the changeup. Which was never really a, a big part of his arsenal uh, during his time pitching in in uh, in MPB. But it, when he was pitching in the Premier Twelve uh, in November, that pitch was better than his slider, which was really surprising. I mean, it was really lively, uh, really good sink and, and fade and, and separation from his fastball. Uh, in the past, it, it really wasn't a, a big pitch for him. So I don't know how much you can really hang your hat on. Off of uh, off of a couple of outings in in November compared to the the whole track record that he's built in in Japan in his previous history, uh, but certainly I, I know he was toying around with the grip a little bit with the changeup. So all right, now if you have a guy who's got you know two average to solid average pitches in in the fastball and the slider, uh, then he's got the changeup working in. If that can be another you know solid average to potentially above average pitch for him. Well, maybe now instead of a, a number four starter, he could be a, a number three. So it, it's uh, definitely an interesting guy. Very not very big. There, there's got to be some durability questions uh, for him for anybody going from you know you know they they have an extra day of rest in Japan that he's mm-hmm. not gonna. Well, I, I should have. Presum- I guess I'm presuming that he's gonna go to a more traditional. Uh, major league schedule on a, on a five man rotation. Although maybe the Dodgers will, will have some more flexibility with that to try to, you know, give him some more rest, give them some extra days, uh, in between his starts, which, which I think will be beneficial when you're trying to transition a guy who's been really conditioned his, his whole career to pitch one way. Uh, so I do think he has a chance to be a, you know, a solid number three starter. I feel more comfortable projecting as a, a number four, but I think there's, there's more upside. Uh, there for
0: him to to be a number three, yeah. And it is you you touched on it. I, I don't expect them to do anything really unconventional. But the reality is is that the the Dodgers have the rotation depth, at least as we sit here in in January. That if they Absolutely. wanted to be a little creative here, they have those options. They have. It, it's interesting. They've uh, taken an approach that really I, I think their off season. They they've obviously lost one of the best pitchers, starting pitchers in in baseball. But their approach has very much been that they're going to look at at, at depth as being a very key factor in them competing in the uh, in the West in 2016. You look at all the moves they've done. Maeda not does not replace that Greinke. I mean, obviously. However, you look at their rotation and they can sustain an injury or two in their starting rotation and still survive. You look at the the players that they acquired in that kind of odd three-team White Sox, Dodgers, Reds deal. You you look at Trace Thompson and Micah Johnson and Frankie Montas. I don't expect any of those guys to be significant impact players for them in, in 2016. But it also wouldn't shock me if if a couple of those guys ended up being very useful pieces, uh, role players for them. They have a lot of guys like that. They you know that doesn't that's not even counting guys that they bring back from that they already had. And they have Corey Seeger, they have Julio Urias, they have Jorge, you know, Jose de Leon, uh, a number of guys who are not that far away, who could help them, you know, Seeger could help them right away. Urias and de Leon could help them at, at some point in 2016. This is, uh, this feels to me like maybe the deepest team, which considering their payroll is not shocking, but it, it seems like, do you get the same sense? That this is kind of depth over impact is, is kind of how they're approaching this.
1: I think this was, this was not their plan A. I think plan A was to sign Zach Greinke, mm-hmm. and it didn't work out. And so now they'll get the rotation and there's, I mean, look, no team is going to go through the season with, with five starting pitchers. You need to have that somebody's going to get hurt. And when you look at that rotation, uh, their starters in particular, uh, somebody is definitely going to get hurt. It's a lot of injury risks in that rotation beyond Great uh, and Kershaw. I mean, right now, you know, there, there's not a lot of guys you 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 pencil into that rotation and, and count on for durability. No, but they do. Like you said, they have they do have a lot of options at the major league level and, and close to the major league level uh, with guys like Jose De Leon uh, and Julio Urias and, and who knows maybe you know Zach Lee. I'm, I'm sure might get some some spot starts as well uh, as a back end type starter. Uh, but it is a lot of you know, number, you know, number three, four, you know, at best three, more number four type starters, uh, beyond Kershaw and then beyond, uh, beyond Casimir.
0: Right. It's Kershaw, Casimir. And then you are talking the Alex Wood, Brandon McCarthy's, Mike Bolsinger's, and, you know, Maeda. And, uh, again, it's, it's eight, nine deep. It's just eight, nine deep on guys. Obviously, the guy who could kind of change that is, is, if Julio Urias has an impact rookie year, second half of the season, he could be in that, that playoff rotation. That's asking a lot of a guy who is still younger than, than many of the uh, 2016 college draftees will be. But, uh, but he does obviously have that kind of stuff. That's going to be a, it's a fascinating team to watch. I, I do agree with you. It's kind of on a plan B, but, it is fascinating to see how they've moved on to Plan B and, and kind of where this team goes from here. That leaves me in a, another team I want to talk about since we had last had a podcast. Sorry we had a little bit of delay there because of the holidays, but also because we had to get out the prospect handbook, which is, as we said, all-encompassing. But the, the Reds have traded uh, Aroldis Chapman to the Yankees and brought back really the the key pieces being rookie davis and eric jagallo and then you also have Caleb Cotham and uh uh, uh tony renda which obviously a uh, there's no other way to put it a a, a rather if you're a red fan that's a rather disappointing haul for one of the best closures in baseball obviously that's been very much affected by the fact that Aroldis chapman is being investigated for an alleged domestic violence incident uh that happened in mid mid to late 2015, but with that, Ben, I, it, did, did the paucity of the haul that the the Reds got back surprise you at all, or was that kind of expected to you because of the cloud that kind of is, is hanging over Chapman?
1: Yeah, definitely. After the domestic violence allegations came out against Chapman, that really shot his trade value. I mean, there's it's not – certainly the Reds are, are selling low uh, on on Chapman's value. You wonder if maybe they could have held on to him and and see what happens with the suspension and, and try to, you know, hope some of his, his value bounces back because uh, I don't think there's any question about his, his talent level. It's it's more about the situation that, that he's involved in and, and all the, uh, you know, all, all the stuff surrounding him off the field that is keeping teams away from him and, and keeping his value down. So uh, I, I wasn't surprised that it was that light, but, uh, but yeah, like you said, certainly an, an uninspiring return uh, given the, the talent level that uh, Chapman has.
0: And obviously there are parts of this that we just do not know, but we don't know if the, the Reds kind of – from ownership on down would kind of give him the mandate, no, you're going to trade Chapman now. But if there wasn't that, I kind of do look at this and say that this is trading a role as Chapman at absolutely positively the worst possible time because the unknown of a potential suspension and the unknown of a potent- of the current, the ongoing MLB investigation craters his trade value where if you said that the role of Chapman remained a red and we were talking about this come next June, July, I do think trade value wise, it could be significantly higher. It is obviously possible. We do not know. We have no clue right now, even if Chapman's going to be suspended and if he is, how long that will be. Uh, it is worth noting. And this is not making any apologies for, you know, you can, there's an extensive story at Yahoo that kind of details the, uh, a, a somewhat of a, a a try to you know an attempt at an explanation of, of what the police found when they they were called out to uh, Chapman's residence but there were no charges filed. It is possible Chapman not going to be suspended on the other end of the spectrum if Chapman's suspended for I believe it's more than 40 games, which would be a, a extremely lengthy suspension but if that happened, then Chapman will not become a free agent after the 2016 season but it would actually be after 2017. From that standpoint, on a purely baseball terms, this is an amazingly good deal for the Yankees. Obviously, from a PR standpoint, it is a poor deal for the Yankees in the interim. They're going to take some uh, a significant hit because people are upset that they've uh, traded and acquired a, a player who's accused of domestic violence. And you're not going to find anyone who's on the pro-domestic violence side, obviously. But it is something where... I, this bullpen, assuming Chapman is pitching, this bullpen, if they don't make any trades, Batances, Miller, Chapman, that allows them to get extremely creative, especially if, if, if the Yankees do make it to October. Those three guys in the pen, and that's, again, not assuming you, you always have a few other guys beyond that, but three truly closer, elite closer caliber relievers in the same pen— that's a great way to get around having uh, a lack of significant uh, ace starting pitching, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And it's, it's the different guys and Chapman in particular, who I think you could look to use uh, in, in multiple inning roles too. You don't have to, when you have three guys who are that elite at, at what they do on the bullpen, you know, <laughs> I don't think it's gonna matter whether you call one of them your closer or one of them your you know, your so called eighth or seventh inning guy. I don't I don't think that role is, is gonna matter. Uh no. I think you just use whoever depending on whatever the situation calls for, whether you know, it might be the it might be the sixth inning of the game and, and you might see uh, a role that's chapman in the game. Uh it's, it's you know, the base is loaded and a tie game and then the other team's best hitter is, is up, uh, and, it, and it's a lefty. Well, now I guess you have two lefty options between, uh, Miller and Chapman. So I think you just, you have to ignore kind of traditional roles because you just have three guys who are premium elite, uh, back of the bullpen, you know, traditionally considered closer type guys. And you can, you know, I, I think Chapman in particular, I mean, I still think Chapman could be a starter. I'm not advocating putting him into that role, uh, but I think if, if things have gone differently for him yes. in his career, this is a guy who has the, you know, the delivery and the arm action, uh, and, and the athleticism, uh, and the durability to hold up as, as a starter. I think he could stretch him out and use him in multiple inning roles, especially if you're only going to have him for one year and you're not really concerned about uh, you know, Mac. Uh, you know, managing his his workload over over the course of several years. if You want to get the value out of him right now. Uh, I think you could see him being used to, and, and and lengthened out in some more creative ways if the Yankees want to go that route.
0: Oh, I think in the playoffs, I would not. With three guys like that, I wouldn't have a problem if I was the Yankees and you've got a, a, a shakier starter out there in the playoffs, third, fourth inning. Yeah, fourth inning. If you're back to the, if you're facing, you know, the the top of the lineup's coming up again because the guy's given up a a few hits, a few runs. I I would be happy to say, you know what? Every time we go through the middle of the lineup, the fourth, the sixth, and then we'll let you know one of those guys kind of pitch the eighth, ninth. You there's so many off days during the playoffs. I think almost any of those guys can be considered occasionally a two inning guy. Then you really can kind of pick where you say. Fourth, fifth inning on, the middle of their lineup, their best hitters are not going to face anyone who's not one of our our three-headed monster. I, I think it's it's a kind of a, a fascinating story to see kind of what, you know, how this kind of shakes out. We're gonna take a quick break from the podcast again just to remind you that it is a perfect time to go to baseballamerica.com slash store and order your 2016 baseball America books, the baseball America Almanac. The complete summary of everything in baseball in 2015. And when we say everything, we mean the majors, the minors, college, high school, the draft, international. You want to know who who stood out in Japan and the Japanese leagues in uh, 2015? We, we've we got it in the Baseball America Almanac. You can get the Baseball America Almanac. The prospect handbook will be out soon. And we have the Baseball America directory and super register coming before too long as well. So go to BaseballAmerica.com slash store to order all your Baseball America books. Well, Ben, to kind of we've, we talked about Chapman, but let's look a little bigger picture at the Reds rebuilding project as it's going on. Clearly, they're rebuilding. They have finally they they kind of pulled the trigger at the the trade deadline this year and said, okay, it's time to rebuild. They traded away most significantly Johnny Cueto and, and got a pretty significant haul back from the uh, Royals for Johnny Cueto. But overall, do you feel like this is a team that is pretty far along in their rebuilding process? Or is this a team that, that's still got a significant while to go uh, before they can really try to contend again in the uh, very, very tough National League Central?
1: I think they're in a, an odd place right now that they're sort of stuck in the middle, which is, you know, I, I think their farm system is, it's not, it's not great, it's, it's not bad, it's just kind of in the in the middle of the pack right now. But uh, and the, there's talent on the major league team still there. But I, I just I look at the rest of the NL Central and it's. I mean the the Brewers are sort of they're, they're committing to a full on rebuild, uh, whereas the Reds I'm not quite sure what the like what the what the plan is for them right now. I mean that that division is just so daunting right now. Where you have the Cubs that have. Well, the the best young team-controlled lineup for for several years, Uh, and now they have the pitching, too, obviously, with with Arietta and and the Plesser at the top of the rotation. The Cardinals are there every year uh, within, you know, 95, 100 or so games. Uh, They're they're one of the best franchises in baseball, and the Pirates are our organization of the year, have, you know, an extremely talented team and a good farm system, I just look at that division, and and I, you know, it's challenging enough for a a team like the Brewers that really looks like they've committed to a a full rebuild. Now, Uh, I think their window for contention is still a few years away. So, but with the Reds, it's just there's so many teams ahead of them that are are so well run and have young talent that are it's going to be sustainable for those teams going forward. Uh, I have a hard time seeing what the, the red window for contention is right now.
0: And the the rough thing is, is that I, as far as the rebuilding, they've traded at this point, most all of the tradable pieces they have. And it's not been a, a, an overwhelming haul back. I mean, Johnny Cueto, they got a significant uh, return for Cody Reed, I think is, is pretty easily a top hundred prospect going into next year. And, John Lamb, Brandon Finnegan. Brandon Finnegan I could be a top 100 prospect, depending on who you're, you know, if he would, I think, you know, if he, if it wasn't for the uh, lack of eligibility anymore, uh, you know, because he has pitched, I believe, enough now. It's been a long time. Sorry, the prospect handbook has overwhelmed me. So I'm trying to remember if he, I think he has enough games now that he does not qualify. Um, but you look at that, but you look at Jose Peraza as a solid, uh, a solid prospect. He's another top 100 guy. But Beyond that, it's it's a lot of guys. Who Scott Schebler is more of a, a role type player. Uh, and you look at their the farm system there's a, there's a lot of pitching prospects, a lot of interesting pitching prospects. On the position player side, though, there are, again there's some nice guys who I, I think are are potentially solid regulars. But there aren't as many guys you say could that's going to be a, a potential cornerstone guy. Probably the the guy who jumps out is Tyler Stevenson, their first round pick last year, who's a long ways away as a high school catcher. You know, just drafted last year. I think there are pretty good ways away, and part of that is, is the key pieces for them is going to be they're picking number two in the draft this summer. And that's going to be, in June, that'll be very important for them. And you look at this team, you look at that division, you say they probably will be drafting pretty high again in 2017. Well, those pieces are, are going to be, you pick two, you pick in the top five, you can land guys who end up being very useful and and impact players Sometimes before too long. That's what they need to do. They have to have some more of that because as we've seen Brandon Phillips probably still going to be there because he's got a no trade. And I don't, know, I don't know how to put it, but if you're not going to accept a trade to the Nationals to play for your former manager, Dusty Baker, there probably aren't a whole lot of teams that are going to meet your requirements to to waive that no trade. Joey Votto is – has many many, many he's a great player, but he has many years left on his deal and is pretty much there for the duration of uh, not only everyone who's currently on their, you know there are guys there are Reds prospects who haven't been drafted yet who will be no longer reds probably by the time that bottle contract is over. And beyond that, I mean Jay Bruce does not have the trade value that really uh, it's kind of shocking how his career's gone for the last couple of years. It's really gone in the wrong direction. They've traded Frazier. You you look at it now, you say they've traded Chapman. There aren't a whole lot of other tradable pieces that, you know, Devin Meseracco has to prove that he's healthy, uh, from, you know, from a a pretty significant, uh, hip injury last year before he'd be tradable. And you really, you kind of want to have some guys to build around. As you put it, it's, it's a very difficult division to see. You compare that group to the Cubs or the Cardinals or the Pirates. It's a long, it's going to be a pretty long slog and it's going to be a long slog for the Brewers too. But the Brewers, as you said, they kind of had the advantage of they have less talent at the big league level right now. <laughs> that means they're going to, uh, it's not an advantage, but it does mean that they're going to be drafting high pride for a couple more years. The Reds do seem like they have enough Joey Votto and if Homer Bailey's healthy and Mesoraco and all may make them a 75-80 win team for the next couple of years. And that's. That's gonna maybe keep you there for a little while. Uh, again, it's a it's a tough position to see where the Reds are now, and you do have to think if they could have just pulled the trigger on rebuilding even four or five months before they did. If they'd have done it going into last year, they would have maybe uh, you know landed some kind of significantly more, more value than they are by trading a Todd Frazier or obviously an unforeseeable situation, but an Oldest Chapman now. So we'll see how that goes. We do want to also talk, before we wrap up here today, we, we've wrapped up the prospect handbook. We've put together 900 scouting reports. We've ranked the top 30s for all 30 organizations. As we said, if you go to baseballamerica.com store and order from us, we've actually ranked the, 31st, the 30, 31 prospects in every organization. Ben, as we kind of proofed it, looked over it, wrapped it up, I'll ask you, I guess I'll start with, is there an organization that stood out to you In a good way or a bad way, as you read them to say, hey, this is, this organization really impresses me with their talent, or this organization really did not impress me with their talent?
1: Yeah, I think one of the organizations that jumped out to me was the Rockies. It's, you know, it's been a while since the Rockies were a, a competitive team, and I think they, they're going to need a lot more than, than just the farm system, but the, the talent they have right now is is pretty impressive to me. Uh, they're, they're definitely one of the top ten farm systems in, in baseball, and they probably just don't get quite as much uh, you know national media coverage just because of the market that they're in. But I think there's a lot of talent uh, in that system, uh, you know, I'm I'm really high on uh, on Ryan McMahon. Uh, you know, they have they have a lot of other guys uh, in that system that are are pretty interesting guys who have a uh, pretty com pretty good combination of, of upside uh, and depth in that system. It's, it's probably one of that we well, we be talk about. You know, the talent and, and the Dodgers and the Astros and and obviously what the Braves have done with their trades and, and the Red Sox, even though they have uh, emptied out a little bit of their of the tank with the uh, with the trade for Craig Kimbrel, giving Manuel Margo and Javier Guerra uh, to the Padres in that deal, uh, but I think one that doesn't get talked about all that much is, is the Rockies, and I, I think they stack up pretty favorably with some of the best systems in baseball.
0: No, I I think the Rockies have one of the. It's interesting. There's different ways you can value organizations. I think the Dodgers are one that jumps out with as far as impact talent because. You look at, they have, uh, two top 10 guys in, in Seager and Urias, and then De Own's not that far away from that. You look at the Rockies, what the Rockies stand out is, is that you get to number eight, number nine, number 10 on that Rockies top 10, and it's still guys who you really like, who are very impressive prospects, not guys. I mean, there's a lot of organizations where you get to five, six, seven, and you've kind of hit the natural, uh, the, the difference between number six on the list and number 15 isn't as much as the difference between one and five with the Rockies, that, that point where you hit that demarcation line of kind of the, the type of prospect that everyone has. Well, almost everyone, I, I wouldn't say the, you know, start looking at you Los Angeles angels, but that almost everyone has uh happens a lot later and, and they are impressive from that standpoint. I, I also, you know, when I was kind of looking at it, I, the middle, uh, the, the teams who I don't even think of as, as top five, top ten organizations, but I do feel like that this is a year because there's a lack of impact prospects. A lot of impact prospects have, have jumped up and are, are now in the big leagues. But there are a number of organizations who, when we roll out our organization talent rankings, are going to rank right in the middle. I would say that I still think have, have some intriguing systems because they have depth. This is a depth year more than a, an impact year just because I do think it's a down year overall for prospects in the minors because we saw so much, so many players promoted in the last year, last two years. This, it's not going to be a great top hundred. I I mean, we should hype it and say this is going to be the greatest top hundred you'll ever read when we roll out the top hundred prospects. No, it's not. This is not a great top hundred. But that being said, I, I feel like the demarcation line between the teams that just are are downright bad farm systems there's few, a few of those, and then there's a whole lot of systems in the middle. I have to ask you, Ben, I'll put you on the spot. One that you've done, you know, we're rolling out this week, we'll be rolling out the Tigers' top ten. That's one, to me, that's kind of on that line of of the systems that are really pretty thin. Is that how you feel, or now having done it, do you feel like there there's a little bit more there than that?
1: Yeah, they're, they're definitely one of the you know bottom five or, or six systems in baseball right now, I'd say. Uh, and and part of it is, look, the the David Price trade that they made, they got Daniel Norris and and they got Matt Boyd and and those guys are not technically prospects anymore. But they are young. They're they're young, you know, controllable talent. So that helps. But they also did trade for Michael Fulmer, uh, you know, putting him, uh, you know, as a guy who's in in double A and and probably can make an impact uh, for the rotation by the All-Star break. Uh, that certainly helps their system. Having guys like Michael Gerber break out, adding Bo Burroughs and Christian Stewart, uh, at the top, at, you know, with their top traffic. I, I think there's more talent there than there was a year ago. Uh, even with, even without including Daniel Norris and, and Matt Boyd in that mix of, of guys anymore. Uh, or, or Devin Travis, who obviously they, they traded away the same day we named him their, their number one prospect last year. So, uh, I do think there's more talent in there than there was a year ago, but I mean, you look at where the, you know, where the major league team finished last year and where the, the talent is in the farm system right now. I think you're going to be looking at a pretty similar, uh, pretty similar outcome in 2016 that, that we saw in 2015 for them, but, but I see you know, a few other organizations that are clearly below them. Obviously, like you mentioned, the Angels. I mean, that one just jumped out. Uh obviously them and and the Marlins and and the Mariners are are three organizations in particular that uh just there's not much talent in the pipeline there.
0: No, no, no. We'll we'll have a further we'll do an org talent ranking podcast at some point and kinda go into it in depth uh for all the different teams. But I I guess I'll I'll throw out one more to wrap up along those lines also. Was there a prospect or two that really stood out to you from a yay or nay, you know, status that as we went through this process, you go, huh, I either like that guy a lot more than I thought I did when it started, or I don't like him as much. Anyone jump out to you?
1: Uh, I guess, you know, what's interesting is because we all do, or, you know, me, you, John, and, uh, John Manuel, and Matt Eddie have our, our top 50 prospects, uh, in the, in the handbook. So, I uh, just kind of I, obviously we talk a lot and, and we uh, are, are we have a lot of the, the same information on these players, but we all view these players uh, in through different lenses. So I, I like having those different top fifties in the book. And it, it, one of the there's always some guys that jump out and say, oh wow, and I, I didn't realize I was uh, that much higher or that much lower on a certain guy compared to you know some of you other guys and, and where you, you have them ranked. So. I think one guy that I'll uh, probably have higher than most is, uh, is Brett Phillips, uh, the, the center fielder that the, the Brewers acquired uh, at midseason from the Astros. I think it's a guy who just has a chance to be a, an impact player who can uh, bring bring a lot to the, the game on uh, through, through a lot of different dimensions to his game. He, I think he's a guy who can, who can hit, and uh, I realize the power dropped off. After he, after he left Lancaster, but I don't think, I don't, I don't project him to be a big 20 plus home run guy. I, I still think there's, you know, 10 to 15 home run type power there. Uh, but I think it's a good swing. I think he's gonna put the ball in play. Uh, he's gonna get you on know, base at a pretty solid clip for you with, uh, with, you know, just enough top for, for a center fielder. Uh, runs well, plays really good defense in, in center field at a, a pretty neat position with a strong arm too to to help uh, to help his defensive value. I think there's a, a lot of dimensions to his game that uh, that I really like. So I, he was one guy who I, I realized I, I ran pretty high up my list compared to uh, compared to other people.
0: No, I think you were the high man on Phillips, and I, I like him a lot. You, you just summed up which is the uh, the question is is he's not hit for power anywhere but Lancaster. It, is that something that's going to be a long-term trend or is that something where he's a young player and it's developing and, and he has shown it, although he showed it in Lancaster? So it's going to be interesting to watch. The good news, as you summed up, is is that this guy's a true center fielder. So even if the power doesn't show up, he can be a very useful big leaguer. If the power shows up, then that takes him the difference between being a solid big leaguer and, and being potentially a, a pretty significant impact player. The... That's one of the things I, I kind of, I'll wrap up with is, is that one of the things that jumps out to me is just how much talent the Astros had in that farm system. Because if you look at, you can put together a pretty good top 10 of prospects that the Astros have traded, uh, in the last year, year and a half. And they still have a very good farm system, even without those guys. Obviously, we are not even talking about. There's the Marco Appel, uh, Thomas Eshelman trade that they sent, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the Phillies to get Ken Giles. Uh, that trade, you know, Vince Velasquez is involved in that as well. Obviously, it was a pretty significant piece. They could do that trade, and they still have significant pitching depth in the in the system. They traded Brett Phillips at the, you know, in in midseason for Carlos Gomez, and they're seem to be fine in the outfield. And Jacob Nottingham was a a very interesting catching prospect, kind of who really came on this year. They traded him, and and they're okay at catcher. That's a, a very, very deep farm system, even after making a, a significant number of trades to try to win in 2015 and in 2016. And, and I, I just look at them and, and that's an organization that really does do a good job of producing mass quantities of prospects. There's a, there is, as Napoleon likes to say, you know, quantity has a quality all of its own. There is something to quantity of solid prospects. The Astros have a whole lot of solid prospects who are, are pretty valuable in, in trades. And then at the same time, they've done a good job of picking up additional pieces. Oh, can you throw Francis Martes into that deal? How about, how about David Paulino in this deal? Uh, those are the kind of trades where they One pick. Most,
1: yeah. Their most recent deal where they, you know, they seemed like they reworked the trade and said, all right, well, you know, you can have Mark
0: Capel but you have to give us uh, Jonathan Arouz back. From, right. From the Right. And, and with their track record now, you go, okay, so that guy's probably going to, you know, really emerge. He's already a solid prospect. You had him in your GCL top 20, if I remember right. But he's, right. he's the kind of guy who, okay, now I expect him to have a really breakthrough 2016 where this time next year we're going, wow, well, look, look at what an astute pickup that was. I, you have to be worried a little bit when teams are saying in a deal, "Hey, can you throw in this GCL guy?" They're not just; those aren't throw-ins. They, they think they know something, and they've done pretty well with that, obviously, in recent years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a uh, it's a great strategy. It's something I've, I've kind of talked about for, for years because you look at the the GMs are not attached to these guys really until they until they get the full season ball. I mean, GMs are. I mean, you you want to say they're they're making the decisions in, in the best interests of the the franchise into into perpetuity, but they also realize they have a shelf life as well on on their own contracts and and frankly, some guy who, uh, especially international player who, Especially uh, if was not a really high bonus guy and was not a high draft pick. Uh, there's no first round draft pick to label attached to him. Although apparently that's getting less and less meaningful uh, as we saw uh, yeah. uh, this off season with uh, with Dansby Swanson getting traded. Uh, but there's there's just less attachment for the the GMs to those players. So you can trade a guy like Francis Marquez who you signed for I think it was like seventy seventy five thousand dollars or something in, in that territory. And they I mean, the Marlins knew uh, he was really good, but frankly, if it comes down to doing a deal and you just have to throw in a, a Francis Martez, obviously a Francis Martez pre-blowing up in, in 2015 and getting a double-A as a 19-year-old, uh, yeah, you, you're, a GM is, is going to do that deal. So you can get a lot of upside and, and a lot of talent uh, if you're just willing to, to take on a guy who's farther away from uh, from the big leagues. And, yeah, like you said, the Astros have, have done a great job of, of snagging guys like that, whether it's David Paulino or Francis Martins or, or now Jonathan Arauz. And, and yeah, you said that they, they've lost a lot of prospects and, and even, obviously, Carlos Correa, who they didn't lose, but they they graduated to the big leagues. But there's still a, a good combination of of not just depth, where I think a lot of teams say, oh, yeah, we have a lot of depth, but, you know, they have a lot of guys that are... Uh, fairly fungible. Every system has, you know, those guys that, uh, in, in this, those types of guys in the system. Uh, the Astros have, you know, some ups, a lot of upside too, at the, and a lot of potential impact guys that at the top of their system. Uh, obviously, even with Correa, graduating the big league, guys like AJ Reed, Bregman, uh, from this draft, Kyle Tucker and, and Dan Cameron and, and Marquez.
0: Joe Musgrove. Uh, you
1: know, it,
0: Joe Musgrove yeah, I mean, to me is a guy who, who reached double A, has impeccable control. I mean, check out his strikeout to walk numbers if you're listening to this. And goes with that, this isn't a guy, they traded away Thomas Eshelman. Thomas Eshelman has impeccable command and control. Thomas Eshelman is your typical command control guy who does it with fringe average to if you really love him, average stuff. Joe Musgrove, who's had a pretty lengthy injury history, we have to say, you know, that's the, the trepidation. But Joe Musgrove has impeccable control and command And he does it with absolutely legit stuff. A big guy who looks every bit of what you expect a starter to look like. He does that with, you know, 94, 95-mile-an-hour fastball on his best nights. So it's something where, that, and that's not their best pitching prospect. And he might not be their second best pitching prospect. You you can argue maybe he's their third or fourth best pitching prospect. That's the kind of depth that this system has.
1: Yeah, and it's always interesting to see where teams go who've been consistently picking at the top of the draft and really filled their farm system that way to see, all right, well, what happens next? And we saw it uh, with with the Tampa Bay Rays, what we're going to see and now with the Royals and, and the Pirates. And so what's going to happen now with the Astros? Because obviously they, they've used their top picks and their top bonus pools the way they've leveraged it in a very... Smart and, and and creative way to, uh, to to snag a bunch of top talent in the draft, even if in later picks. Whether it's a guy like Dad Cameron or, or just picking you know top draft picks like Kyle Tucker and, and Alex Bregman. But I, the Astros seem to me like an organization that, like you said, has, has built a lot of depth and and not just through these these top level guys, uh, the top of the draft type guys. They really have a knack for finding, especially more col- uh, college, college bats who seem to maybe slip through the cracks, slip under the radar, uh, but perform well in college and then seem to continue to perform well moving up the ladder. Whether it's uh, a guy like Tyler White, who who I'm I'm, I'm very high on, on Tyler White. I think he could be a, maybe a Kevin Millar type of uh, type of player if everything goes well for him. I, I think they have. They, they've shown that they can get these guys in the later rounds of the draft too. Where, all right, even though they're not going to have a, a top five pick every year, I, I think I'm, I'm still optimistic. They're still going to be able to to keep that pipeline going, even when they're not taken in the top five anymore.
0: It, it it is. It's a it's a fascinating farm system still, and that's with a team that now is is a playoff team and, and should be better in 2016. In many ways than they were in 2015. For one thing, they'll have a full season of Carlos Correa. So Ben, we'll wrap this up for now so we can get back to doing some writing and some, uh, reporting. But thanks for joining us. Thanks for all of you for the download here at Baseball America, Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. We would, you know, if you do enjoy the podcast, we'd ask you, Hey, you know, subscribe on iTunes, but also write a review for us. We'd appreciate that. Even if you don't like it, you know, we'd appreciate if you write the positive reviews. But if you don't like us, feel free to write a review too. Uh you know, we, we take criticism and uh we, we like the kudos. But we do want to remind you again, go to baseballamerica.com slash store and you can right now it's a great time not only to get the books, but also you can subscribe, baseballamerica.com slash subscribe, and you can subscribe right now and get the uh the next few issues are very power packed we are working on right now the the al central top 10 prospects issue is uh one that's hitting the website and will the 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 actual magazine the actual digital edition as well will be up very shortly and then you have the american league top uh the american league west top 10 prospects will be the next next issue then the extremely and always power pack college preview will be coming up which not only is great if you're a college baseball fan like all of us here at baseball america but also great if you are a draft fan because it also has a massive amount of draft content and a look at kind of who you should be watching. In the great thing is, is I, I we've been at Baseball America long enough to remember when it was hard to watch college baseball on TV, and that's no longer the case now. And you can enjoy kind of prepping for the draft by watching a whole lot of college baseball in the uh, in the spring and all that's coming up at Baseball America. A lot of great stuff coming up. Again, we thank you for the download. We'll be back again later this week with a college podcast as uh, Teddy Cahill, Michael, and Anna get ready to head to the ABCA Coaches Convention in Nashville, the biggest gathering of, of college coaches that you'll see all year. That's coming up later in the week here at Baseball America. And as always, go to BaseballAmerica.com. A lot of new content every day. Thanks for the download. For Ben Battler, I'm JJ Cooper. So long, everybody.